Hey, Yak. Quarantine episode 50. Insert the sound of cheering crowds and balloons and fireworks and um, children laughing. 50. 50 people. It's crazy exciting. Hey, we're back in the love of God. And today we're talking about a topic that I'm pretty sure every pastor has ever preached on and they love to preach on. And by love to preach on, I mean agape to preach on. That's right. We're talking about the agape love of God. Um, you, you know this because it's probably been said a hundred different times, a hundred different ways that Greek uses several different terms for love. Um, and so the three we're going to talk about today are eros, philean, or philean and agape, okay? And how they function in biblical Greek. Not Greek as a whole. We could, that's a whole different discussion, okay? Um, so eros is erotic love. That's where we get the term erotic from. Um, it's very sensual, um, and they would use the term in regards to uh, temple prostitution, um, sexual activity, I mean, that's that's where it exists, even though Plato and Aristotle did their best to kind of free it from that type of uh, sensuality and fill it with this spiritual love for the soul, right? Very almost new age. So the second word, love, is uh, philean. Um, the best way for you to understand it or kind of associate it is the, um, the American city, Philadelphia. Um, it's built on the words philean and adelphos, which in Greek is brother. So if you connect love and brother, you get the city of brotherly love. Um, And that is what takes place between brothers, siblings, family members, close friends, this type of brotherly love. And the third word of love is agape. Now agape went through a very significant development between its pre-biblical usage and its use in the New Testament And then the way that Jesus used it. And so now it has this deeper significance that's attached to it because of the way that Christ used it. So Jesus sums up the Old Testament law in terms of a demand to love God and love one's neighbor. And that love is commanded for God is unconditional. And that's typically one of the clearest associations with the word agape. There's no condition in which that love exists. It simply exists, and there is no condition in which that love is to be removed. It will always exist. So it's a loyal, forever love that God has for the elect. Um, The call, but how do we use it? Because we're called to love God in the exact same manner with this agape love, right? And it involves this sense of obedience that we are to have towards a master. We're going to find ourselves in Luke 17. Pause the podcast. Come back once you're there. Welcome back. Luke 17, 7 through 10. Jesus teaches about this unprofitable servant. Okay, here's what he says. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat? Will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he think that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things, which you are commanded say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done 
What was our duty? Now, that parable seems a little bit harsh at first, doesn't it? Um, But there's a profound lesson here. The point Jesus has made is that there is nothing we can do that is above our call of duty. All obedience we render to God is simply a matter of obligation. God doesn't have to turn around after we have served him in some capacity and say, oh, thank you. Now I know, right, that you are my servant. It's just our duty. And we have this, because we live in a society where slavery has been removed from the public square, we have a a weird or screwed up view of bond servant. Some of it has to do with um, the uh, North Atlantic slave trade because we've twisted the concept of what slavery and servanthood looked like in the Roman world compared to the New World. But we are constantly called in Scripture this idea of a bondservant, that we're servants to Christ, right? We're either slaves to the sin, or sorry, slaves to the flesh, or we're slaves to Christ. And so Paul talks about this idea in Ephesians 6. So jump to Ephesians 6 real quick. I know we're jumping around today. It's not a bad thing. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. I mean, that is a weird concept, right? You have this fear and trembling that's linked with sincerity of heart. And it would seem, especially in this New World Slave Trade idea that these are incompatible. These couldn't exist. But he says, do this as to Christ. Looking at the relationship that we are to have with our Savior. Not with eye service as man pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Doing the will of God, where? From the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does... He will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same thing to them, giving up, threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So the text is really ignored a lot in America because of the slavery connotations behind it, but it says a lot about how we are to approach the agape love that we are to have for the Lord. One, fear and trembling needs to exist. Fear in the sense of the, it says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we have a right understanding of who God is and the power and majesty and glory that he um, beholds because it's who he is. In relation to us, there should be this some sense of fear that exists. And fear, you can say, yeah, as an awe, but when we sin, it should be more than awe. And he goes further. He says there's to be sincerity of heart. Sincerity of heart. This sense of, I want to do this because I love my master. I exist to be obedient to him and to serve him because I love him. This is why um, our reply 
is similar to John's, uh, well, Jesus' command in John 14, 15. If you love me, what do you do? Keep my commandments. And he gives us more clarity as into what it is by explaining what it's not in this passage. Um, namely, that we are not to be of eye service or man pleasers. And what does that mean? That, that means, do you follow the Lord only when someone's looking over your shoulder? Only when you can receive some sort of moralistic or uh, churchy praise? Or do you follow the Lord in the privacy of your own home where no one can see you? It's one of the reasons that Jesus says, pray in secret. Give in secret. Because we are quick to be man-fearers and not God-fearers. We want to praise to be heaped upon us, especially when it comes to our moral proclivities. We want to know, and we want everyone to know that we're, we're righteous. We're good. We're good people. But our offers of obedience, born of agape, according to R.C., cannot function as man-pleasers. We can't. There's no way. We have to have the will of God from our heart. Now, how does that how does how does that work against? How is a heart that pleases a God attacked by the world we live in in our culture? Here's a couple of different ways that RC talks about. There are two chief forces that work against our expression of agape love, and that's our love for mammon and vainglory. Vainglory I've already touched on, and that is us seeking the glory of men in the midst of uh, our serving the Lord. And this is really dangerous to people in my position and pastors and people in public office because we're really easy to become yes men, to please our congregations, to please our workforces, to please those who are within our ministry because we want people to like us. But do we desire the Lord to be honored more than we want man to be pleased? That's a question we always have to struggle with. The next one is mammon. What's mammon? It's their word for money. Jesus himself says it's easier for um, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than to a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because we can be pulled away by riches. So easily. When we are rich and we have things and toys and pleasures at our disposal, we are quick to forget the Lord who has gifted us those things. Am I saying you can't be rich and be a Christian? Absolutely not. But I am saying, do your riches define you or does Christ? And how you use your riches will answer that question. A third threat against agape love that we find in Scripture is persecution. When we are persecuted for our faith, do we hide? Or do we use that to share in Christ's sufferings? You know, Paul Paul says this um, weird phrase in the book of Colossians. That's the last place. You don't have to turn there. It's just one verse. I'll read it to you. Colossians one twenty four. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking 
and afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. That's so weird. Is something lacking in the afflictions of Christ? Are we saying that Christ's work on the cross was not completely fulfilled? Um, no. Or to quote Paul, by no means. What we're saying is that when people see us suffer and still cling to loving the Lord, that speaks and screams about the righteousness of Christ because we are doing something that should not exist. We are finding joy in the midst of pain and suffering because our satisfaction is in Christ. And that speaks much to um, who Jesus is and who we are as we agape him. This is what R.C. says, Paul was able to rejoice in his sufferings because his heart was gripped by agape. His love for Christ necessitated also a love for his body, namely his church. Therefore, he could rejoice in sufferings because those sufferings occurred while he was serving Christ by serving his church. So, we'll continue this conversation tomorrow. But when you hear those things, where do you feel like you lack an agape love for the Lord? What do you feel like is missing? How do you lack love for your neighbor? How do you lack obedience for what he's called you to do? How do you lack joy in the midst of obedience? Pray to the God. Pray to God today that he would give you a heart that yearns to serve him in whatever capacity he's put you in here on planet earth, whether it's as a student, whether it's as a son or a daughter, whether it's at a worker, at a job, whether it's at a... Um, whatever role he's placed you in. How are you being obedient to the Lord? And does your heart love that obedience? Do you love the Lord and keep his commandments? Lean on Christ today when you fail to do that because he is our righteousness and he has loved the Lord and kept his commandments. Hope you guys are well. Peace.